Good morning. Hey, if you're new with us, just want to say welcome. My name is Joe Polino. I love hearing all the conversation. Love hearing all of the get get to know you answers. So when you were a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? What did you want to be? What, what were some, just shout out some, some bold people. What were some of the things you wanted to be when you grew up? Okay, I heard about five and one. Okay, so try that one more time. Do it again. Athlete. National Geographic photographer. I heard that loud and clear. Steven, I actually feel like you could still do that if you wanted to. You are gifted. Man, well, I'm, I'm sure there were several things that were shared. I know uh, it's, a, it's a fun uh, question to ask kids. I ask my kids that just to see what's, um, what, what pops up. You know, a lot of times it's firefighter. That's what my three-year-old's into right now or astronaut. Or for me, it was uh, professional athlete. I heard someone else say that. Um, and it's just a fun, innocent question. And then even like, you know, our, our culture encourages kids to, to dream that dream. You know, like, you go for it. You do that, you know? And then you get a little older and maybe a little, little wiser, and you realize that, oh, like, me and about a million other kids also want to be a professional baseball player. So this, some, some, something in the math is I might need a backup plan. And then my backup plan was going to the medical field. And then as a teenager, when I would get uh, woozy, when I would see the sight of blood and actually at one point fainted looking too deeply at a paper cut, you would think, you would think that that would cause me to change direction. But oh no, I went two years at Baylor at pre-med until I realized this was not it. But the point being is that sometimes whenever you uh, are thinking what, professional field or work you would like to do, things change, um, but you're still craving, okay, what is that job for me? You're in this place of discovery. Uh, one of the things I never thought I would be doing in any line of work would be dressing up as Maui from Moana uh, to uh, make our serve team uh, laugh. So at our serve team thank you party, that is me doing a silly skit saying thank you to everyone else Never in my life did I think I would be singing or dancing on stage in something that re resembles, uh, uh, I, don't, I don't even know what that, what, what, what that would be, but I never thought that would happen. I never thought that would happen, but you know, God works in mysterious ways. And if it, uh, and if it would put a smile on our serve team's face, that's the way I can serve you guys. And so, um, but no matter where you're coming from, my point is, is that you still have this dream of finding the right job or career. And for me, this is really personal for me because in my story, when I was in my 20s, this was my, as a new follower of Jesus, co career in that whole world was my biggest source of stress, anxiety, and even idolatry. Uh, it was my biggest place of struggle. And idolatry just means if you're putting anything else first before God. And so it was really tempting for me to put my job before God. In thinking that, if I got in the right job, if I got in the right lane, then all of the other dominoes of my life would fall into place. And there's a reason why we think this is that because our jobs are important, right? So uh, studies show that we spend most of our adult lives at our jobs and the average person will spend 90,000 hours of their life at work over a lifetime. That's a lot of hours. 
Just an average person will spend about 90,000 hours at work. So you'd think that I would like to find a good one to spend that time. It's also, we have a desire for happiness and fruitfulness. We would like to be fruitful in our work. Uh, The quote, find a job you enjoy doing and you will never work a day in your life by Mark Twain. Anyone else heard that one? Puts a little bit of pressure on like, I would like to find a job that I enjoy Um, you know, so I can have that experience. And then you get into financial security and earning potential and wanting to provide for others and yourself. And then all this kind of gets into a melting pot. And what happens is that it actually uh, can become the most central piece of your identity is your career. There's actually a, a definition for it called careerism. Careerism, which uh, is the overwhelming desire or urge to advance one's career or social status, usually at the expense of other personal interests, social growth, or ethics. So there's this real tension that we all feel in work. And then you think about, well, this is maybe for us in our context, but then you even might feel bad complaining about it because then you realize that the majority of the world doesn't even have a choice of career, right? I mean, they're, they're living hand to mouth in fields and factories just to make a little bit of money just to eat that day, right? And so you're like, okay, so I live in this strange place where I have some freedom of choice, but it's almost too much freedom. And then I'm also aware that there's almost no freedom in most parts of the world. And even thinking back to my grandparents, two generations, they're coming out of uh, children of the Great Depression and out of a world war, and they didn't have anxiety over what job they were gonna do. They just wanted a job, just a job that would be stable that they could provide. My grandfather worked night shifts at a printing press, and when I would ask him, you know, what that was like for him, he was like, it, it, it paid the bills. You know, he was thankful for that. So there's just, there's a lot here for us, and my point is, is that we all, coming from different context need God's wisdom when it comes to work. We need God's wisdom and guidance of how do we work in such a way that it would honor God, that it would be in the way of Jesus and not in the way of the world. And how do we navigate some of these confusing questions of how do I walk in wisdom with discerning what job to be in or how in that job do I honor God? And so that's what we're going to do today. We're going to talk about work. And the title of this message is Spirit-Filled Work. If you're taking notes, you want to write something at the head, that's my title, is Spirit-Filled Work. And we're going to be in Ephesians 6. We're going to go through verses 5 through 9. And I really do believe, church, that as we read these scriptures, if we allow them to find good soil in our hearts, they have the power to radically change the foundations of our work. They change who we work for and even how we work the foundations of our work, who we work for, and how we go about our work. So it's Ephesians 6, verses 5 through 9. It'll be up on the screen. There's also Bibles and the seatbacks in front of you if you'd like to follow along that way. So Ephesians chapter 6, verses 5 through 9. It says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, 
doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. So Father, thank you for just even this morning, just that affirmation that it's your desire to pour into us, to be gracious to us, and to show us your grace in the area of work. So I pray that as we go through these passages, God, would you prepare our hearts to be able to hear you and receive what you have for each of us uh, individually and collectively as a church. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, well, hey, my point number one as we read through this is that spirit-filled work changes the foundations of our work. Spirit-filled work changes the foundations of our work. And as I was preparing, we're going through Ephesians, so when we got to this point, I kind of wrote down, oh, this will be a good opportunity for us to talk about work. So then two weeks uh, you know, ago, I started to do some prep for this message, and as I was reading these passages, I just could not... Um, I, I did not want to too quickly substitute the word uh, slave for employee and master for boss. I didn't want to do that too quickly because it just stirred up in me just some questions. And I want us as a church to look at scripture and not skip over things that make us uncomfortable or, or might just have um, some tensions in them. And so there's some tension here with this passage as it says, you know, it opens up slaves, obey your earthly masters with, with fear and, and uh, with respect and sincerity of heart as you would obey Christ. That's like, okay, that's a little surprising to me. So I just want to speak a little bit to that and then we will get to work, but I just felt like it was important for us to take the opportunity to look into this more. So, um, so with that, when we read the scripture, we come to it with our own experiences and our own lenses. And so when we read about slavery, when we read about masters, our context, we are thinking about the pain and division that our nation has experienced and is experiencing in this area of slavery. And it's heartbreaking and it's evil, the institution that it was, and it's unfortunate that some of the scriptures like this were misinterpreted in such a way to cause such pain, especially for the African-American community. And so we need to understand, okay, is Paul endorsing slavery here and going to the word of God? And so I want to I wanna highlight some differences between the audience that Paul was speaking to and maybe some of the paradigm that we're coming with. You guys with me? Okay, so here are some of the, 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 the key distinctives, just to highlight a few, of slavery in the Greco-Roman world versus what we might think of from our American history. Slavery back then was not based on race or ethnicity. Slavery also was, uh, was often not lifetime. Slaves had the opportunity to earn their own freedom. Uh, slaves also constituted about a third of the Roman Empire. Uh, one uh, stat I saw, 60 million were estimated to be slaves. And so as Paul's writing to the Ephesian church, uh, he doesn't even have a context for there not being like 
this around. Like it is, it is such a part of their culture and their past. But there's also similarities that we might see is that slaves were really treated as property. And even though you could see that there was some developing rights that slaves had in the Roman Empire, man, they really were, it was totally up to the masters of how to treat them. And so just in light of this, you know, wh why did Paul address the Ephesian church in the way that he did? Because didn't Jesus come to set the captives free? That's what he said he came to do. So yes, Jesus came to set the captives free. As you read in the Old Testament, the commands in the scriptures of the law prohibit another human from owning another human permanently. And so what, what's happening here? What's going on? And here's a few things that I, I think is happening. One is, and this, this affects how spirit-filled work changes our foundations because the fact that Paul was even addressing slaves in this letter was shocking to the culture back then, shocking to the Ephesians. If you remember a few weeks ago in Ephesians chapter five, Paul is saying, now that you are a new creation in Christ, do not live as unwise, but live as wise people and be filled with the spirit of God. And then it says, out of reverence for the Christ, the King, submit one to another. And then he goes in and he says, here's what that looks like in your household. And so he, a couple weeks ago, we talked about what it looks like to have a spirit-filled marriage between husbands and wives, which is radically different than what was happening in that culture. And then they had last week, uh, we looked at the difference between uh, a spirit-filled parenting and the relationship between parent and a child. And so the next, the next section is about slaves, which slaves uh, weren't even seen as a part of the family or a part of the household. And so the fact that Paul is even saying slaves and owners, this is important for you to know how to treat each other in a way that's out of reverence for Christ, submitting one to another, is that it's changing the, the whole foundation of, of, of power dynamics and structure in the slave and slave owner relationship. I mean, can you imagine just if you were going to a small group back then in the New Testament church, just imagine you're going to Priscilla and Aquila's house and they have a spread of, uh, you know, just the meal and at their house, you have Jew and you have Gentiles, you have slaves and you have free people, you have men and you have women. And as you're coming to the table to break bread and to remember what Christ has done in that place, there is no hierarchy. You are one in Christ and you're coming together and like, wow, like that, that changes the foundation of, of, of everything, of your identity, of the way that you relate to people. So the very fact that Paul's even saying anything to slaves here is shocking. Do you guys follow me? And they really, I mean, you might think, well, why didn't Paul just come out in a, in a more explicit way condemning slavery? And what we see is that when he addresses that you have the same master, whether you're slave or free, and in other parts of the New Testament, like Philemon, where Paul is uh, going right up to the line of commanding. He is appealing, he is imploring, imploring Philemon to receive back a slave Onesimus that has run away, not as a slave, but as a beloved brother. Man, this, this changes the very heart of, of the identity of a person and of a culture. 
And Christmas is about to come up, and one of my favorite Christmas carols is, Oh, Holy Night. And this line in it represents just what the seed of the gospel can do. Is that it, it says, uh, Chains shall he break, for the slave is our brother. And in his name, all oppression shall cease. And so we just see that there, is, there are seeds of the gospel sown that will eventually uproot and erode the evils of slavery in their day. And, and you might think too, well, why, why, why did he hold back? Well, there was also different motivation for Paul talking to slaves and to their masters. In Titus chapter 2, 9 through 10, here's what it says when it comes to slaves and masters. And this is important for us in relation to our work. He says, teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything and to please them, not to talk back to them and not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted. Why? So that in every way, they will make the teaching about God, our Savior, attractive. And so at that time, the church was viewed as a dangerous religious sect by the Jews and by the Romans. And so they were both trying to persecute, imprison, and kill Christians. And so in Paul's mind, he is writing to the church not to create reform politically, but actually to have faithful gospel witness in the place of suffering to change the hearts of people. That slaves would live in such a way that their masters would be like, what, why, are you tr why are you working the way you're doing? Why do you have high integrity? Why do you have character? Why, why do I want to entrust you with more? And it would, they would actually make the gospel more attractive, this gospel witness. And so how does this impact the foundations of our work today? Man, I don't know about you guys, but I've been in jobs where I have experienced a, a really hard time just being faithful and having vision for why I'm there. My first job out of college, uh, I, I joked I was in pre-med for two years, bounced around, ended up with a finance degree and got a job out of college as a retirement plan consultant. Sounds very official. It was, uh, it was very tedious work. And basically I was about two months into my first job and I realized this was not a long-term fit, but the job market was not good and I was just thankful for a job. And so as I was working there, one year, two years, three years, I, I, I felt like I was, I was burning on the inside to do something that mattered, to use that 90,000 hours to make an impact for the Lord. And I just felt like this was not it. But I was challenged by scriptures like this to view my workplace as a place for me to actually be an ambassador of Christ, to be a representative of Christ in that workplace and to be a minister of reconciliation. And so I might not enjoy the work that I'm doing, but I wanna do it in a way so I can make the gospel attractive to other people. And so as I was doing that, uh, and I did not do this perfectly, there was plenty of days where I was complain praying about my job, but I was like, okay, help me to have eyes to see the people around me. And slowly but surely, God graciously began to answer my prayer. I was never at the top of the productivity charts of how many reports I turned out, even though I tried my best. But what ended up happening is my cubicle actually became a place where my coworkers would come and they would catch themselves oversharing about their lives. 
So they would start talking about, you know, their faith or start talking about a relationship that was broken or something with their family. And they were like, I don't know why I'm telling you this, but, and they would begin to open up and share so much to the point that, and I was just, I was just, God, would you help me just to be present? And I would just listen and I would build a relationship and just genuinely love them. And I wouldn't share the gospel right there, but I would look for opportunities. And this happened so much so that when an outside consultant team came in, we did some exercise where each employee was put on, like they, they did a, some, some test of what kind of per, uh, employee are you? And each, each type got a animal assigned to them. And so my whole team that I was on were assigned the animal of a worker beaver. So these guys were just like, I just want to work. You just send me the, the reports under the door. Don't talk to me. I will get it done. And I was like the golden retriever of the group, which I always want to be the lion, you know, something about, you know, ego, but I'm always like, oh, you know, whatever. I'm a golden retriever. And, um, and so I just own that. But, but as they were describing the golden retriever, I was like, I don't know if that's me. I don't know. If, and, the, and the golden retriever, they said, had a sixth sense to be able to take the emotional temperature in the room and be able to help people. And as they shared that, all of the beavers in the room shook their head like, yes, that is Joe. That is who they are. And I didn't, I didn't have like any intention for that to happen. But because I said, God, would you help me to be present in the workplace? My my giftings, the spiritual gifts that God had given me as a shepherd and as a pastor began to come forward in the workplace. And so I just share that, like, that is one practical way. It changes the foundation and the vision of our work is to see, wow, God, you have a heart for my boss, for my coworkers and my clients. Help me to make the gospel attractive and just see what God does out of that. So that right there, is the foundations are shifted in spirit-filled work, but there's also, okay, so there's so many other questions I have, like what does this passage address when it comes to how do I work? Or what if I have a bad boss? Or what if I'm in a bad circumstance? And this is point number two, is that spirit-filled work changes who we work for. Spirit-filled work changes who we work for. So in these verses, we're gonna read them again, When it addresses slaves in every verse, it has Christ or Lord in it. So we're going to read it again. Slaves, obey earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. So a great question to ask yourself, a great question that I ask myself as I'm even preparing a sermon is who am I working for? Whose opinion matters the most? Whose opinion matters the most? Because God shifts the audience for both the slave and the master, both the employee and the boss, shifts the audience from either yourself or even other people to be an audience of one. You're working for Jesus. You're working to serve him. You are working for an audience of one. And so your work is first and foremost, according to this passage, 
unto Christ as the audience of one. So if you're doing cubicle work, like I was doing, the reports that you're sending aren't really to your boss. They are doing reports for Jesus, right? If you are a mom, wiping bottoms, cleaning up messes, your work isn't first and foremost to your child. It's actually doing it unto Christ. When you are a teacher and you are doing a lesson, when you're a waiter serving tables, when you are doing it first and foremost unto Christ. If you are doing this in this way, it will radically shift the way that you see work and the way that you go about work. And I, what I love about this is that we, we have this problem, especially I think in, in Dallas, which is a cultural Christianity of viewing some work as spiritually significant and some work as not. You know, the sacred versus secular. And that's just not present in the Bible. <laughs> Like it's not present of, of, of some work is, uh, is more spiritual than others. It's not. And so here what he's saying is whatever you do, he doesn't tell the slave or the slave owner, you know, to, there might be a situation where because of your discipleship to Jesus that you feel like, I don't know if I can be in this place or industry. That is, that does happen. But it also elevates and dignifies every single type of work if you do it unto Christ. I mean, I can do sermons like I'm doing now. And if I'm doing it for someone else other than Christ, then actually I'm not being spiritually faithful with my work. And you can be doing, uh, you know, you can be doing either making a meal for your family. Uh, you could be teaching a lesson. You could be uh, picking up trash. You could be mowing a lawn. And if you're doing that unto the Lord, that's worship. Man, that is, a, that is a spiritual act that it says that God sees and he will, will reward each one according to what they've done. That's pretty amazing. Pretty amazing. Colossians 3, 23 through 24 says it this way. Whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Man, so God created us to do good work. In the Garden of Eden in Genesis 2, God makes Adam and Eve and he blesses them. And he, and he says, go and be fruitful and multiply and rule the earth, subdue it, work. And he puts them in a garden to tend it. And so part of our, who we are as human beings made in the image of God is that we have a desire to do fulfilling work. Because of the fall, because of sin, because we chose uh, as, as a human race to not follow God, but to want to be God, sin entered the world and there's thorns and there's thistles and there's things that come up against us all the time in our work, but we're still called to bear fruit even in the midst. It says, even though there's thorns and, th and thistles that will come up, it says that you will, eat the fruit of the you will eat from the fruit of the ground, Adam. You will actually bear fruit. And so we're called as people of Jesus to work in such a way that it's unto Christ, knowing that we have a vision that's even beyond the curse, even beyond the frustrations of our job and injustices and inequalities that you might feel because you have a different boss. Amen? Amen. Okay. John Stott says it better than I think I could, as he often does. And I want to read this quote to you. He says, it is possible 
for a homemaker to cook a meal as if Jesus Christ were going to eat it, or to spring clean the house as if Jesus Christ were to be the honored guest. It is possible for teachers to educate children, for doctors to treat patients and nurses to care for them, for solicitors to help clients, shop assistants to serve customers, and accountants to audit books, and secretaries to type letters, as if each case, as in each case, they were serving Jesus Christ. Man. So if you are an employee or you are a worker, or may this be a vision for just... Okay, who am I serving today? Whose opinion matters today? And saying, let it be you, Jesus. That will change the way you work. But then it says in verse nine, it has this section that addresses masters. So let's read that. It says, masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them since you know that he who is both their master and yours in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. So here you have the masters, who are in charge of the slaves. And it says, masters, treat your slaves in the same way I just told them to treat you. Wow. Treat them with fear and respect and sincerity of heart. Serve them. And it says, don't be harsh with them. Don't threaten them. It's very, it's, it's very uh, similar to when it says, fathers, don't exasperate your children and cause them to sin. It's saying, bosses, don't be harsh. Don't threaten. Don't use your authority in a way to coerce your employees. And so this would have been pretty shocking. Uh, We all know the joys of being under good leadership, a good boss, a good manager, and the pains of being under one who is poor, right? Uh, We know the difference. And and I, I remember uh, one of my coaches uh, in baseball said, you know, character is who you are when no one's watching. And he was trying to tell us that so we wouldn't cut corners on our laps, you know. Um, and I remember him saying that. I was like, that seems true to me. Um, it also is scary because I didn't have very good character at the time. So I would like nod. I was like, yeah, but uh, I, I don't actually behave the way I want to in, 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 uh, in secret. Like I actually feel ashamed because I don't feel like I have good character at that point. Um, and as I was going through that, you know, it was the gospel, it was the grace of God that in my shame, in places where I don't have good character, in places where I have sin, that the grace of God and love of God met me. And it, it, it said, it, it flipped it on my identity upside down, that I'm a beloved child of God, not because of the work I do, not because of what I give to God, but because of what he's given to me. And as I received that, it gave me a desire to actually work and worship in a way that would honor him and and grow and be a man of character. But one of the things that scripture says is that character is actually shown up, it shows up where you are in a place of strength and how you treat people who are in a place of vulnerability or weakness actually shows what your character's like. And so here, the master's, have all the, the power over the slaves, and yet this is where the character of Jesus shows out the most. And Jesus illustrated this very powerfully in Matthew 25, where he says this, he says this parable, he says, the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. And then watch this, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. 
I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. And then the righteous will answer him and say, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and, and clothe you? When did, you, did we see you sick or in prison and go and visit you? And the king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for the, one of the least of these brothers or sisters of mine, you did for me. You did for me. And so my, my desire is for us this morning is for all of us to say, God, you're the one that I'm working for. You are the boss, but also to just put to the side some of the, the, the ways that the world would say, this is what's valuable work. This is when you're influential. This is what true reward looks like. And actually look at what the kingdom says. And he sees every cup of cold water. He sees every gesture of seeing those who are weak and have no voice for you coming towards them. And that, that is actually a, a, a characteristic of a good Christ-like boss, but it's actually a characteristic of the church at large. And in that, there is a reward. And now I am not uh, a fan of the prosperity gospel at all, because I feel like it sets people up for failure. The prosperity gospel basically saying, if you follow God's commands, you're going to be blessed. Your life is going to go up into the right, because that's not true. Um, but the scripture is very clear that there is reward. And uh, I was a retirement plan consultant. And so I would talk with people about the importance of planning for the future and investing in their retirement plan. And if you want to look at it that way, there are funds that you can put into your heavenly retirement plan that will blow your mind, just the little investments. And I do believe that in God's kingdom, there's not any act that you can do that will be overlooked by him that's going to uh, divest fully, that's going to mature and go up to the right. Because in the kingdom of God, he sees what each one of us does and shows no favoritism. And so for us, you might be in a very menial job. You might be in a job that uh, you get no recognition, but God sees you and he will reward you for your faithfulness in that. And for me, I worked for four years in that job and I did not do it perfectly. And I wish that I could have done some things better, but I do, I remember that feeling of being released from the job, if you will. When I pray, I said, I think my time here is done. And I would love for all of us to in our current jobs and in our lives to have that feeling of, you know what? I feel like my work is done. I've finished the work God's given me to do. I've invested all I can and I've laid the seeds. So God, would you help them to grow? So that is, who are we working for? Who are we working for? And so the last point is we're coming home here. How, how do we grow as spirit-filled workers is that it changes how we work. It changes how we work. And this is my last point. As we go through the next um, uh, verses five through seven, it says Christ in every verse it talks to slaves, but it also says heart uh, in, in three different places in the scriptures. And so let's go again to verse uh, six, verses five through seven. It says, slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear, with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, 
doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people. Wow. So serving with all of your heart. Now, when you serve, there's a Hebrew word called avadah, which actually means worship, and it also means work at the same time. So when you are serving with your whole heart, it's actually an act of worship from your heart when you are doing your job. And we have two scriptures up here. One is Genesis 2.15, where it says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work avadah and to take care of it. And then another scripture says, this is what the Lord says, let, me, let my people go so that they may avadah or worship me. And so from the heart, when you're working from the heart, it actually is a place where you are worshiping the Lord. And so it's not just doing the right things faithfully, like, God, would you help my heart to be in this? And have you ever had an experience where you have, uh, say you're at a restaurant and your server is just locked in on your table and your needs and is quick to refill the drinks uh, and is helpful with the menu and is just warm and, and hospitable. And you're like, wow, this was a, a really great experience. In some ways, I don't think that server is accidentally giving you good service. There's something from the heart that they're putting forward. And I think you can also tell the opposite when there's someone doing a certain job and they're doing it because they have to be there. Or you know, maybe they had a bad day. You want to give them the benefit of the doubt. But this, over this past summer, we had several contractors working on our new house so we could move into it. And you could tell which ones were doing their job from the heart and which ones were not. And, and may it be said of all of us to grow in doing our jobs, whatever they may be, from the heart. I'm thinking of one electrician, his name was Victor. And man, he was so meticulous and detailed on, on how he did the, uh, how he set up the electricity in the room. And he was checking like, do these meet your expectations? And uh, we had one instance where there were lights flickering and he drove all the way across the Metroplex just to fix it the day of. And I was like, I don't, Victor, I don't know why you're, you're being so, uh, uh, yeah, I, I don't know why you're being like this, but man, I, I feel really served by you. I feel really, um, I feel really seen by, and I just said, thank you. Thank you for serving me. And I asked him, you know, why? And he just said, well, I'm coming from a place where uh, I, I moved here uh, from Mexico. And as I moved here, I just didn't have a job. And so I, I have worked and worked and worked. And now I take great pride in my work. And I was like, wow, like that is uh, just a, a different perspective. And I talked to him, I talked to him about, Uh, In Mark 10, where it says, you know, Jesus himself said that even he didn't come to to be served, but to serve. And he said that the greatest among us would be servants. And I said, Victor, you are one of the greatest contractors that I've ever known uh, because of the way that you serve. And uh, invited him to church. He he knew Jesus. He was Catholic and he just thanked him. But it was just such a beautiful interaction of me getting to experience the fruit of him being thankful for his job. And then his, him doing his job. And I was like, Victor, oh, if you would only even know doing your job under the Lord, how much more joy you might have in doing these things. Because he was saying, I have ulcers and I'm, I'm anxious. And I was like, Victor, like, yeah, let me pray for you. And we were having this, uh, having this conversation. And it was just a, a beautiful picture of what happens when you give your, your work under the Lord and you do it for... Um, and you do it from your heart. Do it from your heart. Ma'am, 
How many of y'all have seen the, uh, the, the show Undercover Boss before? Raise your hand. I love that show, uh, different parts. Sometimes it's really uncomfortable uh, as you're, uh, the boss is watching people complain about him or her. Uh, but then other times there's these moments that are gold because you see someone's character. You see someone who is honoring their boss or their institution or whatever, whoever they're working for in a way, and they're doing their job with excellence and the owner is right there. And the owner gets to speak to it. The owner gets to say, wow, well done. May I entrust you with more? May, how, how can I give you a promotion? And I just think that's a, that's a picture that Christ is actually on the job side all the time. And it's not in a way to, um, to uh, have a magnifying glass to criticize our work, I don't believe, but it's actually to partner with us in our work. So it would be worship. It would be avadah. It would be, um, and, and because we need God's wisdom. We need the wisdom of the Spirit to know how to do our jobs well. Amen? Amen. So as, as we close, I want to invite the band to come on up. And I just spent a lot of time um, really just praying this week for different people in our church that are in different spots and realizing that they are representative of, of maybe a lot of other people here. And so here, uh, just a list of people that I wrote down is like, maybe, maybe you're here today and you're in need of patience from the Lord because you've been waiting for him to give you guidance in your job. Uh, maybe you're in need of God's vision for, for your work. Maybe you're in need of, of vision because the work that you're doing is hidden and exhausting. Uh, maybe you are in a difficult work environment and you don't know what to do with the toxic work environment. How do I gather on Sunday with people that I share the same beliefs and faith with and then scatter into my job and feel like I'm alone? How do I deal with that difficult work environment? I believe God wants to give you wisdom today. Some of you are in between jobs and some of that is just really hard for you to even admit, even if it's not your fault. There might be uh, shame or there might be uh, just feeling, uh, feeling like even like a failure in that way and just feel like God wants to speak to your identity as a son or daughter and for in that place for him to give you hope and for him to uh, speak your identity and calling and know that this is a season that will pass and to pray for open doors. And then lastly, some are in need of wisdom to be the bosses or managers God's called you to be, to be the God, to be the bosses or managers God's called you to be. And so just with that, I just want to invite you uh, to stand. We're going to close with singing. But before we do, I just wanted you to take some time to be still before the Lord in the area of your work. And maybe for you, one of these points hit home more than the other. Maybe it was, I need to see you, Jesus, as the one I'm serving. Maybe it was, God, I need wisdom for one of these areas of my life. Whatever it is, we want to create space just for you to present that before the Lord. And then I'm going to pray. And then we're going to have our prayer team also up here. If you want someone to pray for you, we, uh, man, our prayer team is amazing. A serve team that is ready to pray and partner with you to go before the Father uh, and to lift up your uh, request to him. And so I'm just going to give us about 30 seconds or so. So, Father, would you give us 
your heart for work? Would you give us your heart for our coworkers, for our bosses, for our clients? God, would you come and speak to us about how we can be spirit-filled workers? Father, I pray, God, for each person here, God, that they would be filled afresh with the Spirit. God, they would be filled afresh with the grace of God in this area of work. God, where there is uh, pain and there is little strength and weariness, God, I pray that you would lift people up. God, I pray that where there is questions and there is need for discernment, God, would you give people peace even in the midst of not knowing? And would you give them wisdom as they ask? You promise to give us wisdom. And so we come to you expecting that. And Lord, we pray that we as a church would be people who would walk in the way of Jesus in our work and be filled up so that we would work unto you, work with you and for you, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.